Hello everybody and welcome to series four of the She Can She Did podcast. How are we on series four already? It's honestly blowing my mind. I don't know where time's going ladies, genuinely, but here we are. If you are a new listener, firstly welcome. She Can She Did is a podcast in which I, Fiona Grayson, sit down with female founders dotted all over the UK via Zoom for the foreseeable future, but usually over coffee in person, and ask them to open up to me about absolutely everything they've been through, both good, but more often than not, unbelievably challenging, to not just launch, but grow and sustain their businesses to date. The overarching aim being that She Can She Did encourages current female founders to persevere by highlighting that setbacks en route are so, so normal, and also inspire as many aspiring business owners that launching a business is possible, but only if you're willing to accept that it's not going to be as easy and glamorous as social media sometimes makes it out to be. You're willing to grit your teeth and work seriously hard. Before we get going on this series, I wanted to comment on the events that have unfolded in recent weeks in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement. The events of recent weeks are triggered by the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery and countless other black lives have been a huge learning curve on both a personal level and on a business level running the She Can She Did platform. The distinction between not feeling racist and actively being anti-racist is one that struck a chord deep down in recent weeks because I've realised that I have not been, throughout the duration of my life, the latter. To ensure that She Can, She Did commits to allyship, both online and offline going forward, I released a statement on Sunday evening on the She Can, She Did Instagram feed that outlines my commitments running She Can, She Did going forward. And as the amazing She Can, She Did audience that you are, you have my full permission, in fact I encourage you to, hold me accountable to those commitments going forward. Black lives matter, pull up for change, enough is enough. With that said, I am so pleased to say that Tide Business Current Accounts are back once again as the sponsor of the She Can She Did podcast, a fact that I'm very happy about because as recent listeners will know from series three, I've been banking with Tide ever since I switched over to being a limited company at the end of 2018 and have loved them ever since, so feel like I can go to town at talking them up in these intros. If you haven't heard of Tide, it's a business current account dedicated to startups, entrepreneurs, and freelancers. You can download the app and set up a business account with them in no more than 10 minutes if you're interested by the way, who have in recent weeks set up a small business solidarity series on their website to champion and promote Tide users, which has been designed to showcase the various ways in which Tide members are supporting others as we all navigate the coming weeks and months. From free SEO resources and business coaching sessions from fellow business owners to free online fitness sessions and meditation recordings too, There are so many useful offers to take advantage of, so please do feel free to have a look at their website, www.tide.co forward slash solidarity hyphen initiatives, or by following the link in this episode's show notes. Now, to kick series four off, four is my lucky number, ladies, so I've got a good feeling about this series. I had a chat with the vivacious and incredibly talented woman that is Anisha Palmer, founder of her self-titled jewellery brand that she personally handmakes from her studio in Derby, that celebrates her British Asian heritage through a number of bold, intricate and authentic designs. 
Recorded on Saturday morning via Zoom, this is the story that Nisha has been on behind the scenes over the past five years and how she's navigated stepping away from a career path that in her own words, as a first generation British born Asian, was expected of her. To create a brand and business for herself that, as you'll soon hear, she is truly, truly passionate about. She's one inspiring lady, and I am so, so honoured to have her on board to kickstart this series. As always, I really hope you enjoy it. Right, are you um, are you ready? We've both got our coffee. Are you ready to go for this? Yeah, let's go. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a pro, so... I might get a few bits like wrong and I might get muddled with my words, but I'm ready to to go. <laughs> Honestly, you should hear me. I'm I don't even know why I have a podcast. I ramble so much. So don't you worry. Anisha, let's start with well, set the scene. It's Saturday morning. We both got our coffees. You've had a dirty <laughs> night's sleep. It's not looking good. <laughs> Talk to me in your own words about what your business is about and we will go from there. Okay, so um, my brand, my namesake, Anisha Palmer London, started off in London, that's where I'm from, that's where I grew up, um, I'm now based in Derby in the Midlands. I make jewellery inspired by my own personal upbringing, my family's migrant journey, and that combining that British and Asian-ness, as well as the multicultural marketing pop of Britain, mainly London, because that's where I grew up, but it's about that exchange of culture and pattern and colour and representing that through the jewellery, the luxury statement jewellery that I create and I hand make everything. I say I make jewellery for the bold, confident and badass woman. And <laughs> I've slowly embodied that through the journey of my brand, I think. So, I love that. Yeah. I've never been, I've never ever been able to say that word because I've got a lisp. So me saying, I can't even say it, bad, badass. Badass. I can't say Doesn't it. Doesn't matter how you say it, you feel it. <laughs> exactly. I love that. So obviously, um, from our brief chat the other day, this is 2015, 2016, about five five years yeah, old. About five years old now, yeah. So talk to me about what inspired you to launch your own business. What were you doing? Because you're still, you know, so young. It's something that I always think I'm always really, really interested in what encourages people to launch businesses like now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Honestly, and from listening to some of your other podcasts, I think it's young naivety and fearlessness is the truth, is what it comes down to. However, like my story is that I um, did my degree at Loughborough, I did textiles, I was always good at combining crazy materials together. Materials is like my real passion. And then I went on to do my master's at London College Fashion, super proud of that, you know, with the name and stuff. I did MA Fashion Artifact, the only way that I can kind of explain that it's like conceptual fashion accessories the pieces I created were these huge body sculptures inspired by the documentation my parents and grandparents had to file to come to the UK for me to be born here and have these opportunities so very personal projects still I think it embodies everything that I am and I'm so proud of it you know something what how many years ago was that like six seven years ago I'm still so proud of it so after I finished really hard to find a job um, I was interning, I was freelancing, I applied for this job at Gucci as a junior watch and eyewear designer. It was the only design office based in London and not in Italy. So it was perfect for me. You know, I was living at home with my parents. I was like, wow, okay, I made it. I finally got my dream job. Let's just go for it. However, six months in, my whole team got made redundant and that London office closed. And it was heartbreaking for me because I thought, I've worked so hard. Why? Why am I, why can't, why is this happening to me? It's been so hard for me to find a job. 
And after I came out of that, I was still freelancing. I was heartbroken, trying to find jobs. It was difficult. So I thought, why not create my own jewellery? I was always had an interest in jewellery. I'm not trained as a jewellery designer, but it was a way of making these mini, mini wearable sculptures out of crazy materials. So I designed a collection inspired by my heritage. How long did and that take? Because I'm always, they're, they're the, the kind of nitty gritty bits. Like I designed a collection. To me, that's like a minefield. Like, where do you start? But in terms of when you left Gucci, this kind of period of time, I'm interested in that. How long it took. Wow. It feels like such a long time. It was probably from leaving to actually creating. And I feel like I was doodling while I was working there. So it was already there. It was emerging. Not knowing I was going to lose my job, this was already there. So maybe from like start to finish, maybe about four or five months of pulling out my mum's like jewellery, drawing the patterns. And I remember like doing like hand-drawn specs of everything. And then it just turned into something. And I, all my samples, it's not like I made multiples of it. I took all these things that I'd been making, that collection I made and took it to Spitalfields Market, paid for a store, which for me was quite expensive at the time, and sold one necklace, tiny, tiny lotus necklace for £20 that one first day. And the two people I worked with at Gucci came to support me on that day, which was amazing. I was like, I've made it. Somebody (laughs) out there has this one piece of jewellery that I've made. How did you feel on that first day? You know, I always think when I go to a trade show or when I just, you know, any, any kind of market, it really is. I don't think until you're behind the stand, you don't really appreciate how nerve wracking it can be, how daunting it can be, because exactly. you're putting your pride that, like, what you've it's you put it's me. Absolutely. It's, everything. it's on the line, it's, isn't it? It's your heart. It's your heart literally there on a stand, and you're just praying people like it. I mean, I remember going to like the garden centre with my mum to try and find some props for my stand and and like, yeah, just, just making sure everything was perfect. You know, like I'd, I'd like had this like silk that we've had in our home for ages that I ironed and rolled up and all these market traders are laughing at me like, you're not going to keep that up. Yeah, yeah she won't. <laughs> like, the precision of everything I did, but I felt proud, you know, I felt really proud. I think... In hindsight, working for people, and I've done so during running my brand, it's not for me. It's not for me. And having that kind of sense of standing there and being like, I did this, I'm here because of me and my hard work. I was like, this is me, this is what I have to do. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you say that because of the fact that you were obviously doodling on the side of what, for many people going into fashion, you're working at Gucci, like you said, is a dream job. So it is really like interesting that even yeah. in that kind of world, there was still that kind of entrepreneurial exactly. creativity and spark you going on. That question, that's a memory that I've had. I don't think I, that's actually... I've actually ever thought about that you know yeah so that's really interesting I love that okay so you run your first market at Spitalfields obviously it's now um you sell predominantly well you sell online don't you but before that you went through a kind of process with wholesale etc etc I'm really interested in this journey before we come on to any of the challenges all of that kind of stuff how you've grown this brand how you got the brand's name out there approach from marketing from day one talk to me about basically how it's evolved over the past five years it's a big question I know but go for it yeah yeah so doing my markets at Spitalfields I continued to do that I continued to do craft markets I had all like the the Friday kind of banking crowd coming out and spending their monies on Fridays and it was great I mean I had 
quite a few friends who worked in the area that always came and said hi and yeah I was doing something very different to the rest of my traditional kind of Asian background friends who were in banking or doctors or doing something very very clever and this is what I was doing but it was great to have that support and then um, I applied for a competition with not just the label called the future of fashion and that competition was um, to sh- if you won it was three rounds to show your collection up to three times in Paris at Premier Class which is a trade show wholesale and um, applied on a whim I literally didn't think I'd get selected but I did get selected knew nothing about wholesale, wholesale pricing. And this is all the stuff I was learning. And again, I'd sold some of my samples at my market. So I had to remake everything, do a line sheet. I didn't have a clue about markup and any of that. And to be honest with that first collection, I don't think I got it right. But it was a foot in the door and it was a learning curve. And I was learning these things on my own and out there in Paris and having so much great feedback. I think at the time, there was, Nobody in that circle who was representing their culture in an authentic way, you know. And yeah, I did get questions like, but how can you be British? You know, you don't look British. And, and you know, educate, educating that, you know, yeah, I felt offended. But I think it was a learning curve and it just showed how passionate I was about promoting not only my culture, but that multicultural identity in the world that a lot of people still don't seem to understand. I think, I think for me... looking at it retrospectively I was so proud that I was able to educate and share that through my work and and yeah having wholesale orders for the first time sitting down with like you know the jewelry buyer of Louisa Via Roma for example and then the V&A the jewelry buyer V&A coming to me and saying right you know we're probably going to need about you know 500 pieces especially the little studs. How old are you at this point? So I'm 29 now, so that was about, yeah, five years ago, so 2024, 20, 25. Your business is a couple of months old. I'm really interested in the kind of the emotional side of this because it, I think in hindsight, you get so used to it, the journey when you're your own boss. You know, two years in, what what would have scared you in the first couple of months, you know, is it water off your back by year two. How did you prepare? How comfortable was that feeling knowing that you at the age of 24 25 going to sit down with these big buyers you know like you said your friends are all in banking um or you know a quote-unquote proper job you know yeah it's such a vulnerable place to be at least if I'm putting myself in your shoes for me that would be a very vulnerable place to be how did you prepare for that internally I don't think I did honestly I think I went gung-ho fearlessness you know like at that age I had this internal belief that no matter what I was going to make it and that was something so precious that sometimes I don't really have that so much right now because of ups and downs of running this business but yeah I think it was just go 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 yeah like that kind of like traditional mindset of you work hard my parents have run their own like shop so I've seen that it's instilled in me mm-hmm. it's like that natural thing and I was like this is the only way forward you know, there was no kind of preserving my mental health, preserving who I am. I was almost faking it until I made it. I was faking it. I didn't have a clue. It was just saying yes on these opportunities and just hoping that I'll be able to make everything and deliver in time. Yeah. You know, I, di- I didn't have a clue. It's, it so, just- it's so funny you said that because I literally had that conversation yesterday with someone about imposter syndrome and, just, and how it's, it. you kind of get used to that feeling there's a it becomes you you can recognize it more but I guess 
with the ups and downs, you know what's at stake as as you grow. Whereas at that yeah. beginning, it is very much that blind naivety, which is so valuable in those early days. But let's go back then. So to the wholesale. Yeah. V&A were your first order? Yeah, one of my first orders. Um, they kind of like had a chat with me while we were there. And then I think that was about September, end of September, October time was the show. And then in order to arrange a face-to-face meeting, it actually happened in November, which was Diwali Day. I clearly remember because they had this huge, beautiful Diwali display in the foyer of the V&A. And then I was like, this is like amusing. I've been coming to you since I was younger and I'm going to be in here. And it's like amazing. And yeah, the jewelry buyer just kept listing all the things and the quantities and I just kept writing it down. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I have to make all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like all by myself. <laughs> That's um, but yeah, I, I just said yes. I was like, this is such a fantastic opportunity. I have to say yes. I said yes. I had loads of friends and family help me. And I was there like boxing it up and hand delivering it to their warehouse. You know, so I did it and I continued to do wholesale. So because I got to show up to three times for free, I took up the opportunities, continued to get wholesale orders, found it really hard to fulfill them. I'm not going to lie. It was tough as a one woman band, not having a factory and continually churning out collections as well. I did find it really tough. What quantities are we talking? Um, So I would say the biggest one was 500, but there were some that was less, but they were bigger pieces. Yeah, yeah. and they're intricate, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, from 500, 200, 300, you know. So it was it was hard. It was it was tough, but I kept persevering. And then after the competition had finished, I really wanted to show independently and pay for a stand, um, which was really expensive. But I had made the money and I wanted to invest in doing the doing the show. So the first I I think I did it twice. The first one I did, the ivory collection did really well. The second one I did the Paris attacks happened and my collection I think I was trying to force myself to become a bit too commercial and it wasn't the right fit everything felt wrong when I went nothing seemed to be flowing didn't don't think I made even one order I had spent a lot of money to be there and it was heartbreaking Mm. it was it was heartbreaking for me to kind of it was all I was all in you know it was a lot of money and yeah it was heartbreaking not to get that great feedback but in hindsight I know why I wasn't staying true to who I was I was pushing myself to be too commercial and it wasn't resonating with the buyers my customers or myself really Mm. and it's it's um it's a really important lesson isn't it because it can be so easy again with that growth to get kind of swept up in what will give give me the biggest I don't know what will appeal to the the mass audience when actually sometimes not appealing to, well in general business if you appeal to everyone that's a lesson in itself that something is going wrong right exactly it was it was a huge learning curve and not get caught up in the noise you know I think I was looking at what everybody else was doing at the time instead of focusing on what was true to me and what I really wanted to put out there and I, and yeah, from there, the wholesale did slow down because I wasn't able to do the shows, afford to do the shows. And I felt like, you know, the margins weren't there for me. As a one woman band making all this stuff, it was a lot of hard work for not a lot of profit. Mm. So I wanted to focus on nurturing a customer base through my own events and online business. And that's why I've continued to grow since the first two and a half years of my business. You know, I've yeah, continued to grow that and 
got such an amazing customer base that I'm really proud of. And when you made that switch, how kind of proactive were you in vocalizing that how did you kind of shift the way you were speaking like all of that kind of thing to really make that switch over that you're now relying on you know your social platforms all of that kind of thing to get that audience in your network etc etc yeah it was a learning curve I think what a lot of us small independent brands do we go we we go best wishes from my team and I did that for, for ages I did that for ages and I'm like, actually, you know, when I made that transition, it took me a time time to get away from that we and that us and that team. And I went, actually, guys, it's just me. I'm doing the marketing, hey. I'm doing the work, <laughs> I'm designing, I'm making, I'm cleaning my toilet, I'm doing it all, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that switch and that kind of showing that authenticity. I mean, it's only this year where I've really been talking on my on my Instagram stories it took me a long time to gain that confidence and that's you know a whole personal journey for me but yeah I think seeing that switch and just saying this is me this is me I'm Anisha I do it all that was key that was key I think showing your authentic self is so key to to running your own one woman band business yeah absolutely and I've seen you've got some really amazing press and given that you are wearing all the hats has that come naturally again how active are you reaching out for PR you know it's I think especially with something like jewellery there are so many brands out there and it's a case of what's been your approach to be honest your designs really do stand out from the crowd but how have you until you come across you you don't know that you know so how have you got that in front of the the kind of the big the big um what do you want to say the big names like glamour like l etc etc publications there we go (laughs) um so doing the shows in paris was a great way because they were around and a lot of them came to speak to me interestingly it's l india vogue india so a lot of indian press have picked me up UK press, not so much. And I can't put my finger on why. I've tried, I've knocked down every door. I've tried absolutely everything. And it doesn't, for some reason, I can't seem to get over that hurdle. But I'm hoping it will change. Mm. People like you reaching out to me and doing this podcast is is like, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? It's an example of that. Mm. But yeah, I mean, that, that's been, that was a major way, being at that show and having that presence and having real conversations. I think having one-to-one conversations and networking was key for me yeah because it's all me and I fully embodied and represented what I was creating and I there's not many opportunities so much I think for me or there haven't been or I've not put myself in that position to do that in the UK but I want to do that more so yeah um I also worked part-time as a PR and marketing manager in the travel industry so that was a huge learning curve very different to fashion PR extremely different but I learned a lot through that yeah like the basics yeah yeah absolutely no that's amazing okay let's move on then to you kind of you've weaved some in already but I'm really interested in obviously the realities behind the scenes the challenges etc what has been the hardest day on the job to date no let's leave it there and then we'll come on to like general day-to-day challenges and ups and downs it's there's not one that stands out but I think 
the hard thing is for me is stopping slowing down and nurturing myself and my self-care I work 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 until I burn out and I can't work anymore and I know it's not healthy for me but I it's it's what I've seen it's what I've seen in my family it's what I've seen my mum do being a great mum being a great businesswoman doing juggling all hats and she doesn't seem to stop and I think it's just inbred in me it's a very kind of Asian thing to do you just go you don't stop you don't have time to stop what's self-care you know it's like inherent and I think I've had to take the time to really step back and my husband's like a great supporter of that saying Nisha it's enough you need to stop you need to calm down you need to take it slow so yeah I think some of the hardest days is when I have those burnouts and I know I haven't looked after myself Mm, yeah and it's so interesting isn't it because I can relate to that and it's it's funny you always say when you're in that burnout phase I'll I'll remember next time and then it's like and then the cycle happens yeah it's it's a tough one you know you said your your husband there the move up to Derby um you know moving up there I always think there's a balance there that's also a challenge where you've kind of running a business but personal life the upheavals in personal life how have you sorry um managed that whole you know reality that if you're going to run a business you're in it for the long haul which means that life never goes to plan sometimes and there's ups and downs there as well that need to be dealt with gosh that's long-winded Anisha but go for it (laughs) no I mean there's a lot there and um I'm guessing you're editing this, so feel free to cut stuff out that's not relevant. But for me, my personal life, you can see it reflected in my bank balance. When there's stuff that's happened to me personally, it takes over. It completely takes over. Um, The move up to Derby, I mean, I'm a Londoner through and through, coming up to the Midlands. Why did you move up there? So um, my husband works at Rolls-Royce, based up in Derby, and I was working from home my home studio so I I kind of had more flexibility than him and he had a house and more rooted here in hindsight it was the best thing I ever did but the change was huge for me I was working from home I wasn't meeting people it was tough it was tough to make friends and mingle it had an impact on my mental health I think definitely um and the thing that changed for me is when I got my studio so I was able to afford to get my own small studio up there Along with that came meeting lots of new designers and creators up here, getting some business mentoring, connecting with the museums and small organisations around here. And all of a sudden, it seems like there was so much more opportunity here than maybe what I had down in London. So, yeah, I think it's just having that balance and a bit of a slower pace of life suits me just fine I get a bit frazzled when I come back to London and it just throws me like that intuition I've nurtured sometimes just goes because of the busyness yeah there's a pace there isn't there that can kind of throw you off sometimes I think that's a really important point to address though because um I hear it quite a lot um you know like running a business can be lonely when you first start out and it really can but there's something to be said for being very proactive about the fact that it really doesn't have to be if you are willing to reach out and connect with fellow business owners there's I think 1.7 million of us self-employed women in the UK there's a whole lot I bet there's some you know just around the corner but it's just a case of really finding them and connecting yeah bouncing off ideas having like your soundboard to check in with I think I think that's so important and that's what's helped me a hell of a lot and just coming back to like the personal life, like I said, there's been huge ups and downs. I've worked part-time. There was a point where I thought I was going to give up because things weren't working. You know, I had I had a really bad experience where I was working, where I had a racist, sexist box, and that threw me completely. 
because my brand was so much about everything I embody, you know, promoting multiculturalism, promoting my culture, who I am, how I got here, how my family got here. And then I had somebody just slashing through that. So that was really tough. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was tough. It was tough. I was the only person of colour in the office and it was I've never experienced that being in London. And it had, yeah, coming out of that, I had to really take a step back and and kind of check myself mm. and check what I was doing. But kind of a year on from that, it was the best. It was it was horrible, but it was a learning curve. And I think I've embodied all that anger, all that passion, all of it into what I'm doing. And I've never felt so strong yeah. in the work and the path I've taken. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, I feel like this is, you know, fitting for this this week in the sense that I can't pretend to understand that truly. But what I can appreciate is that there is a lesson there that you've you've got through that. And like you said, knowing that if that happens again, you've got through it once and once. you are growing stronger every day the more you exactly. stand up for yourself and yeah I'll never let anybody make me doubt that or be quiet about it or not speak out or yeah I mean it was a knock to my confidence completely with that ground zero with my confidence and my brand is all about embodying that confidence so nurturing that and building that up it was tough that's when I'm you so need your badass crown you put it on and you're like exactly, don't mess with me exactly, <laughs> literally like yeah, I think my brand is what got me through. Yeah, I absolutely Completely. love that. Just popping on here with a little reminder to say that this episode is sponsored by Tide Business Current Accounts, who have created the Small Business Solidarity Series, showcasing how Tide members are supporting others with their businesses as we all try and navigate the weeks and months ahead. To browse the offers and discounts available, feel free to have a peek at the link to the Business Solidarity Series in this episode's show notes. back to you know we've we've mentioned British Asian heritage and like you said so many of the this isn't a traditional route to go down right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how have you or have you sorry ever had to deal with any skeptical comments um or ever felt like you were being criticized or no no criticized for for choosing that path for yourself and for any woman listening to this that is also from the same background your advice for holding your own in those conversations when you're not necessarily meeting someone else's expectations for you so you know the re I I truly believe the reason why there is that kind of sentiment of you've got to take this path is because our ancestors worked their asses off for us to be here and have these opportunities. I truly believe that the dots in their lives lined up for me to have these opportunities, as it is for so many of us first-generation born British Asians. You know, my grandparents came from Gujarat in India. They migrated to East Africa, where they set up businesses. Then they were kicked out of East Africa, where they had to come to UK and start all over again. So there's that resilience that's built in us. They don't want us to have the hardships they felt. So they want, you know, they're like, we've educated you. You've gone to university. You've had all these opportunities. You should be making a lot of money and you should be very intelligent, which I get. I get their expectations fully. 
But just because you're taking a creative path, maybe not making as much money, it does not mean you failed. And I'd say to those young people, you want to start businesses or want to do something creative, listen to your heart because you will be successful no matter what. And when you are successful on your chosen path, no one's going to be prouder than your parents. You know, no one is going to be prouder than your parents. And I can stand, you know, my, my parents will rarely say they are proud of me, but when they do, it means the world. Yeah. So stick, stick to who you are and show them the other side, show them, they'll see your passion. They'll see how, how hard you're working and they'll want to do nothing but support you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love that answer. I feel like that needs yeah. like a standing ovation. <laughs> oh my God. Like I feel emotional. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should well, get like been harsh on me. My parents have been harsh, but they've set up their own businesses. They know how hard it is and they just didn't want me to face that same struggle, mm. but I've just gone and done it. Anyway. Yeah. So the thing yeah. is though, it's like you said you have a brand that honestly is it's stunning and it's all off the back of your hard work like no one can there's literally that's all come from you every single order every single press feature every single museum exhibition it's all your hard work and I think that being your own boss is a job like no other no other and it deserves respect so yeah definitely definitely I have a feeling that I from something you said earlier that this will pan out um a certain way but let's talk self-care um (laughs) because ultimately um you know like we have mentioned if you're running a brand unless you sell it or unless it fails, you're in it for the long haul, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you stand on that, by the way? Do you see this being... This is all I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. Completely. I cannot see myself doing anything else. The only thing that kind of is transforming or pivoting or running alongside what I'm doing is my artistic practice. Yeah. So that's that's the only thing that's kind of interwoven now with what I'm doing, but can't see myself doing anything else. I'm not giving up. <laughs> Absolutely. It goes back to that resilience, doesn't it? So if that's the case, then, Anisha, in terms of self-care, then, given that you are in it for the long haul, like we said, once you get to one goal, the next goal appears. It's constantly moving forward. Life gets in the way sometimes. What does self-care look like or how do you kind of juggle that balance? Like, how do you switch off um, on a day to day basis? Not necessarily with the burnout bit, but how do you kind of manage your week? It's, it's a struggle. Like I said before, I'm not great at it. But the things that help is having an incredibly supportive husband who is there saying stop. I think I need that. I need somebody to tell me, Anisha, okay, stop. Spending quality time with friends, with family. I also teach Bhangra fitness classes with my friend where we dance like crazy and it's like a super positive vibe. It's a shame we can't do it in person because the energy is amazing, but we've been continuing online. Love dancing. So that's a really good like stress reliever. That's Um, amazing. 
I literally, you're talking to the girl with zero rhythm. So if anyone says that they're a dance teacher, I'm just like immediately respect and envy. I'm like, I wish I could dance. Not professionally trained at all, doing it for the pure love and fun of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a great way to meet people locally as well. So yeah, absolutely love it. Put on some good music and dance. And it's Um, that mental health aspect as well, isn't it? Because, you know, exercise for me is my one. But dancing, obviously it's a form of exercise, but it's that kind of, it's not just... good for you physically to get up and move especially if you're in a studio kind of sat sat working all day but it is such a release isn't it in terms of when you're dancing work can just yeah back off completely (laughs) or like when I'm in my studio like working my poor studio neighbors I'm blasting banger music like (laughs) blasting it because I just need to release some stress yeah but I think they all love it (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, let's just stop, play some good tunes and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's my go-to. And over the last couple of months, I've tapped into some yoga and meditation, which has helped like tenfold mm. with calming that mind down. So yeah. That's so interesting you said that because um, I've i always been Pilates over yoga. And literally, I would say <clears throat> since lockdown, I've switched over to predominantly yoga. And I never really kind of got it oh my goodness what a game changer and I know I'm so late to that conversation but it is honestly just from yeah of breathing switching off oh my goodness you tap out completely yeah if you're in it and if you can kind of focus there's times when my mind's just like too much into my work or something else but when you're in it and you can really focus it's like the best yeah calming release yeah yeah Absolutely. Okay, going forward then, um, what are the kind of the goals? Where do you see this brand going? Or what do you you hope for the brand to achieve going forward? So um, some of my key goals are to nurture the amazing customer base. I mean, during this lockdown period, they've been so supportive of my business. So continue to nurture that amazing real customer base who I seem to be having one-on-one conversations with more and more. So to build that even wider to promote multiculturalism and everything I embody and stand for through the pieces I create. Um, Like I mentioned before, I've been focusing a bit more on my artistic practice. So um, I've been doing a few residencies locally and I want to create work that kind of um, focuses on diaspora, multiculturalism, looking at empire and colonialism and kind of the after effects of that. So I've really been researching and wanting to create works of art, which hopefully would be body sculptures, bridging fashion and art together. So I'm working on those things, some workshops, some panel talks locally. So yeah, it's just building and amplifying everything I've already been doing. And that's it. I just want to do more of it. I feel like I've really nurtured it to a point now in these five years and now it's just ready to springboard and just go it's so inspiring speaking to you and I think this is why I love my job so much because you can just see the passion like coming out of you you know it's just I know it's just so um yeah yeah yeah, but it's just it's for me like I walk away from these conversations always on cloud nine because it's just you can't not be inspired by someone that cares about their work that much you know you mentioned COVID there in the lockdown, which has obviously been a challenge in itself. What has the past, you know, three, coming up to three months? Yeah, it'll be three months mid yeah. this month, won't it? Taught you about your business and what kind of lessons have you taken from it going forward? Um, so my studio was closed. So I'm in my home, little space in my little box room. 
Um, but it's kind of, I can, I can work from anywhere. I've got an amazing following of people who love what I do. And I really love them for that to kind of be supporting me. Having myself in front of the camera, talking about the ups, the downs, holding up my pieces, showing them on a real person. It's amazing to think people are tapping into me and the person who I am, because for me, it was always about glam photo shoots, glam models. The collection I recently released, Cosmic Goddess, was the week lockdown started. And I was really scared about how it would be received, but I wanted to put it out there anyway, because for the first time, I was a model in my own lookbook shoot, which I was so nervous about, but it was received so well. So I've learned just be your true self, put yourself out there. And especially during this time, people are tapping in to that realness. They, they, they want it. They're striving for it. So be real and be there for people, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, I love that. And like you said, like being online anyway, there's not been a massive pivot, has there? No, it's always been better. It's been better. Yes, it's yeah. Like online sales have picked up for me. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. It's been really nice. That's amazing. Right. Okay. I always end on some statements and I haven't got my notes in front of me. So I mean, you'd think that season four, I'd know these by now, but let's have a think. Um, being my own, oh, I should probably say, I start the sentence and I'll let you finish. <laughs> right. Being my own boss means. So it means I'm in control. No one's telling me what's the right way to do things and I can be my authentic self. Yeah, absolutely. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to step back home into that intuition that you have within and come back to it because you'll always know what's right for your business and brand when you just step back and listen to your heart and that intuition absolutely yeah yeah I think you kind of that gut feeling I never appreciated it enough until I started my own business yeah so completely powerful so powerful yeah love that um if I could describe myself as a businesswoman I would say that I am extremely passionate I get that (laughs) you need to say I lead with my heart and do what feels right go with that gut feeling because when it's when I haven't it's not worked out so well for me and at the same time I'd like to say I am level-headed or I've learned to be level-headed plan for the future and kind of get my financials right as well it didn't come naturally but it's it's come now yeah yeah yeah. I definitely think you know that's such a common challenge that crops up mine too oh my gosh the accounting side ugh. <laughs> thank god for accountants but it's all learning isn't it and you get you do Absolutely. kind of slowly start to understand what all the big words mean if I could go back to day one of my business I would tell myself um don't lose that innate belief that you're gonna make it nurture that hold on to that don't let anybody make you feel like that's not true and plan do your business plan do your cash flow think about how you're going to make this financially viable for the future absolutely and very lastly I want my legacy to be that oh I love this question so I want to continue the legacy of my family who have worked so hard for me to have the opportunities that I have I want to be an advocate for promoting that multiculturalism And I just want to continue being me and putting that out there and putting out the work that I'm super, super proud of. Amazing. Thank you so much. Honestly, (laughs) I feel like what a way to start the weekend. That sounds... Oh, was that? Yeah, that felt good. That felt really good, especially after a week of heaviness and feeling really low. Being able to know that this is what I've believed in from day dot. It's not something new. It's not a trend for me. 
you know what's going on now is innately me yeah you know yeah absolutely yeah being able to voice that it's kind of made me feel so much better I think I might go and have a happy cry (laughs) (laughs) oh go cry go cry I love that um Anisha honestly thank you so much that was um yeah amazing Thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you have a minute to spare and enjoyed it, of course, it would mean so much to me if you could please rate the podcast below or leave a review if you fancy being extra kind, as apparently it helps to give the series a little boost and helps other female founders and aspiring business owners to find it. For now, though, enjoy the rest of your day and please do look out for next week's episode. (music) 